1: A
0: massive manhunt is underway in Maine after a mass shooting that spanned two locations Wednesday night, left at least 22 people dead and 30 wounded in Lewiston. Maine Public Safety Commissioner Mike Soschuk said in a late-night news conference that law enforcement is not yet confirming an exact number of victims since the situation remains very fluid. The latest on this on the Fox News Radio hourly newscast and at foxnews.com.
2: I'm Madison Allworth,
0: I'm Juan Williams, I'm
3: Liz Klayman. and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, October 26th, 2023. Alisa Brady. The new House Speaker has his work cut out for him. But one Republican strategist says, at least they're moving on. I don't think anyone thinks that the last few weeks have been a positive
1: moment for the Republican Party. It's become a, almost a national embarrassment. Uh, so there's only one way to go from here and that's forward.
0: I'm Dave Anthony. Four Iranians have been stopped crossing into Texas illegally this month amid a record surge of migrants that has Republicans more worried about terror.
4: Our enemies pay more attention to our southern border than our own president does. This is why I say that our open southern border is our number one most pressing national security threat facing Americans.
0: We speak with Senator Roger Marshall.
2: And I'm Ricky Schlott. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. After three weeks with no
3: House Speaker. House Republicans unite.
4: Therefore, the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana, having received a majority of the votes cast, is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives for the 118th Congress.
3: Mike Johnson won with 220 votes a day after becoming the fourth GOP nominee, but only the second to make it to the floor, following multiple rounds of secret ballots and long meetings behind closed doors. Now that it's done, Johnson calls it character building and says it's produced strength. To my colleagues, I want to thank you all for the trust that you have instilled in me
0: to lead us in this historic and unprecedented moment that we're in. The challenge before us is great, but the time for action is now, and I will not let you down.
3: Eight Republicans had led the historic ouster of Kevin McCarthy, as speaker, in part over his handling of spending concerns in bipartisan efforts to avoid a government shutdown. Without a speaker, the House was essentially frozen and now has just over three weeks left until temporary funding runs out again. This is the White House seeks billions more, including aid for Israel and Ukraine. President Biden calling to congratulate Johnson and pledging a good faith effort to find common ground. But the Biden-Harris campaign calls him MAGA Mike Johnson.
4: He spearheaded the legal effort joined by more than 100 of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle in support of a dangerous and baseless lawsuit to overturn the results of the 2020 election.
3: House Democratic Caucus Chair Pete Aguilar pointing to a history of support for Donald Trump that also includes a vote against certification of the 2020 election. The bottom line for now, though, is a House that's back in business.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt the last three weeks have not been helpful for the parties. Uh, long-term prospects.
3: Colin Reed is a Republican strategist and co-founder of South and Hill Strategies.
1: And one speaker after another, speaker, candidate after another, uh, not getting the votes they needed and the state of paralysis. It, it just was becoming too much. It was becoming untenable. So look, having this this period in the rear view mirror is a good thing. Hopefully the new speaker can project a sense of unity. His His early remarks, I think, tried to do that. And get down to the business of governing, there's a lot of serious issues facing this country and this world right now, not to mention an election just a year away, but basically uh, in which this entire House majority could theoretically is going to be judged by voters. So it's great to have this in the rearview mirror for the Republican Party. Now comes the hard work of governing.
3: Mm -hmm. What about potential fallout? For the Republican Party, because President Biden's campaign wasted no time uh, putting out a release and calling him MAGA Mike Johnson, uh, saying his ascension cements an extreme MAGA takeover of the House Republican conference, also describing him as a loyal foot soldier for Donald Trump to lead uh, an extreme agenda is basically their argument. Um, Is he someone that feeds that narrative for, for Democrats?
1: Well, the Biden campaign in the White House knows that they can't win on the merits and convince the American people of their own arguments. They need to convince voters that the other side is perceived as worse. But he needs that contrast. And they haven't had it to date, so it's not surprising they would jump on it. But by the same token, now that the Republicans have at least put this issue to rest for now, they can use the bully pulpit of the speaker's gavel, to do the same with President Biden. And most importantly, above all else, is keep the Republican, improve the Republican brand and give whoever the, their eventual nominee is uh, the breathing room in the space to really take the fight to the Biden administration. Because ultimately, in these presidential years, we're not supposed to be talking about the House of Representatives or the Senate, for that matter. All the attention, or the lion's share of the attention should be focused on the battle for the White House.
3: Mm hmm. Johnson is still faced with um a divided caucus, right to say the least. I mean, can he bridge that gap or does it depend on the individual issue that, you know, you might be looking at when you're talking about that gap in the caucus.
1: You noticed the first thing out of the gate he did was talk about the need to pass a bill showing support for Israel. That is an issue with the Republican Party which is uh, of course is united on the issue of Israel and I think that's an important gesture uh not only for our ally in the Middle East, who's, who's going through what they're going through right now, but also to show a sign of force for the party as a whole. And, and by the same token, the Democratic Party is the one that's more divided in Israel. So I think that was an important, not only symbolic, just to show that the party can be on the same page for once, but also, of course, to help out with geopolitical affairs. And then, yeah, there's, there's a number of thorny issues ahead, whether it's of keeping the government open beyond November 17th, uh, what to do about the situation in Ukraine where there are are healthy divisions in in the Republican Party. And now it falls on the new speaker to bridge those divisions, keep people together and be able to show that the party is serious about governing. And it's it's no easy task. And uh, uh, Speaker Johnson's got his work cut out for him. That's probably the understatement of the day.
3: Well, especially when it comes to the issue of spending, you reference the Ukraine portion of the president's spending request in particular, and also this ticking clock with, you know, another potential government shutdown, showdown looming. That issue is something, the spending issue in general is something that helped lead to the ouster of Kevin McCarthy as speaker. So what is Johnson's path to navigate that to address spending concerns that a lot of Party members have while also avoiding a shutdown.
1: Look, the whole reason the Republican Party found itself in this position to begin with was the five seat majority they had allowed some of these backbench rabble rousers to influence power they shouldn't have. But the silver lining out of last year's disappointing election season was a House majority. And if you look at the exit polls, the voters who voted Republican for the House, they did so because they believed the Republican Party would be better on the issue of inflation. And inflation is, of course, directly tied to spending. So it shouldn't be acceptable to anybody in the Republican Party, whichever wing you come from, to just go along, get along on the status quo of government spending. There has to be serious substantive cuts made uh, to reduce spending. Otherwise, Republican Party is no better than Democrats. And that's going to be the discussion that needs to be had. And that's going to be what this next funding uh, mechanism reflects Uh, for not only the Republican Party and the members who were elected last year to fulfill their mandates, but also to keep their word to the uh, American public who who wanted uh, a significant reduction in spending because they were tired of the inflationary policies uh, of Joe Biden that had made life so unaffordable. That's the biggest thing that I think the biggest challenge Speaker Johnson faces is just showing that amidst of this chaos, uh, the Republican Party is ready to lead.
3: Right. Democrats certainly will continue to bring up the chaos and remind voters about the chaos. Does the Republican Party's ability to get you know voters to forget about the chaos essentially hinge on how much they are able to do now with the gavel in Mike Johnson's hand?
1: Yeah, Republicans will, will pay the political price for a shutdown. We've seen this movie before. It always ends the same way. And that should be avoided at all costs. And yes, of course, that doesn't mean that the spending can continue at the levels it has. There should be significant cuts, but also recognizing that there's a Democratic-led Senate and a Democratic uh, White House. Republicans control one third of the arms of government right now, and there's a limit to what can honestly be done. But more than anything else, it's just to get the House of Representatives out of the national discussion and allow whoever that standard-bearer is going to be at the presidential level to be able to offer his or her vision uh, for what the party is going to offer to voters. And, And at that is going to be what determines the fate of not only the the House, the Senate, but also the White House.
3: Will this change anything, the outcome of this speaker battle? Will it change anything or should it change anything for the eight Republicans who led the ouster of McCarthy? Or could this particular outcome, choosing Johnson, just encourage those members to push harder for their priorities?
1: We'll see. A lot of the animosity from those eight members toward former Speaker McCarthy felt more personal than, than policy-driven, and it's potential that the, the new Speaker, by benefit of being a relative unknown, will have a little bit of a honeymoon period where he's allowed some running room to try and bring these two camps together, keep all the various members of the family in the same, growing in the same direction. Uh, but the, there's no doubt about it. The Republican Party's got a lot of different voices with a lot of different opinions on how to move forward. And again, this would be so much less of an issue for Speaker Johnson or anyone else had the Republican Party had a bigger majority. This w- th- we wouldn't be having this conversation right now.
3: Mm. This rift over the past three weeks is it largely driven by, like we talked about, the spending overall and Ukraine in particular, or were there other issues that? really had them at loggerheads, you know, behind closed doors.
1: It it always felt more personal and policy driven. Speaker McCarthy actually had a fairly impressive record of accomplishments over the last or uh, during his eight month tenure, despite the Senate being controlled by Democrats and President Biden in the White House, he actually passed a bunch of legislation that, that President Biden had no choice but to to sign. So it always felt as though the knives were out for McCarthy from the beginning. It took him 15 votes to get there. He was always skating on thin ice. So in many ways, it felt like this was the ending that we all knew was likely to happen. At some point, it was just a matter of when and how. So yeah, I don't think anyone thinks that the last few weeks have been a positive moment for the Republican Party. It's become a, almost national embarrassment uh so there's only one way to go from here and that's forward
3: for people who don't follow politics all that closely it may feel like mike johnson as house speaker kind of came out of left field (laughs) at the last minute i mean were there rumblings about him along the way over the past three weeks or you know is it kind of a, a big surprise to everyone
1: Yeah, I think there's most people in Washington, D.C. who couldn't have picked this guy out of a lineup, and that includes people who follow Congress for a living uh, day in and day out. So he did come out as a surprise. Uh, You saw some of the more household names whether it was Tom Emmer or Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan, you saw their trial balloon go up and then come crashing down. And I do believe he benefited a bit, uh, Speaker Johnson, that is, benefited from his anonymity, the fact that he had people who uh, may not have known him but certainly didn't have the animosity that uh, some of those other names had created along the way.
3: What is your, as a Republican strategist, kind of what's your best case scenario going forward for where the party stands right now and especially in the House?
1: In the House, the House Republicans need to stand strong on Israel, make that clear, and they need to condemn and hold to account any of the sort of vile, reprehensible views that are being expressed by some of the extreme elements of the Democratic Party and ensure that the other members of the party denounce them. A government shutdown should be avoided. That's always a loser for the Republican Party. And then from there, this new... House Republican majority just needs to show they're serious, that they can be trusted with the gavel and do the basic functioning of government, hold Joe Biden accountable for his failed economic agenda. And then before you know it, we're going to have a Republican presidential nominee. And that candidate uh, needs to be able to count on uh, its congressional allies as uh, supporters. So ending this period is terrific. And now uh, let's see if Speaker Johnson can keep positive momentum rolling uh, and help reverse the recent trajectory.
3: GOP strategist and co-founder of South and Hill Strategies, Colin Reed, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Lisa.
5: News Podcasts Network.
3: Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five
4: days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you
2: listen to your favorite podcast. This is Ricky Schlott with your Fox News commentary coming up.
0: As Israel battles Hamas militants for a 20th day after the terror attack that started the war, there's a growing concern about Iran, which is accused of helping plot that attack, and backs militants in Lebanon who are also attacking Israel and U.S. forces based in Iraq
5: and Syria. They use these terrorist groups to attack Israel and Americans and our interests across the globe.
0: Congressman Mark Green at a House hearing into Iran's threats. Republicans say the Biden administration's recent prisoner swap that freed up $6 billion in Iranian money made the situation worse. But Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson countered at the hearing. The truth is not a penny of
5: that money has been released. And the Biden administration and the Qatari government have agreed to block Iran from accessing it. Adding to the concern,
0: four Iranians have been stopped trying to enter the U.S. illegally this month amid a record surge of migrants crossing the border.
4: And I'm afraid that's just the tip of the iceberg.
0: Senator Roger Marshall is a Republican from Kansas.
4: Actually, over the past year, we've had 60,000 people of interest encountered at our southern border, people of interest from Iran, from Afghanistan, from Syria, from Turkey, uh, indeed people of concern. And we don't know where those people are, or what they're doing. And in addition to that, another 170 individuals that were encountered that were on the terror watch list, 170 individuals in the past year encountered that were on the terrorist watch list. And I compared that to under President Trump's four years, there was only 11. So it's went from 11 in four years to 170. And this is why I say that our enemies pay more attention to our southern border than our own president does. This is why I say that our open southern border is our number one most pressing national security threat facing Americans.
0: So what about those who were stopped, who are on the watch list? Are they in custody?
4: We don't know that. That is just it. We don't know where they are, Why? You know what they're doing right now. We don't know if they were caught and released. We don't know if DHS is keeping track of them. And that's why we've introduced legislation to require Secretary Mayorkas to make a monthly report to Congress saying, this is who we encountered that on the terrorist watch list. These were people of interest that we encountered at the border, and this is what happened to them. This is where they are right now. Are they in the United States or not? Because we simply we don't know. And again, I've been to the border three times. When we have five or 10,000 people crossing our border every day, these types of folks get lost in the wash. We don't know where they are. We haven't talked yet about the gotaways. So I think our border patrols overwhelm.
0: It's not just Iran or Turkey or those who might be coming in from the Middle East, something like 18,000 Chinese nationals, Correct
4: so 18,000 uh, last year chinese nationalists another 2,000 this month alone um, and again where are these people are they working at uh, the universities Are they working in research labs Are they stealing our intellectual property are they you know getting ready for cybersecurity attacks are they planning something you know what i wake at night is you know the fear of a combination of a cybersecurity act as well as a bioterrorism act at the same time and with 60,000, 80,000 people in this country that are on some type of a watch list, that's very concerning. So
0: what do you think should be done? We've been told, as we've had the record surge of migrants in the last couple of years, especially last fiscal year with a new record that was set, we've been told that a lot of these are people fleeing bad places,
4: just wanting a better life in America. Well, Dave, certainly we are a welcoming country, but I think we've got to get control Of the situation we need to be able to discern who are the people that really need help and who don't what we sure can't do is what joe biden is suggesting in this super big 105 billion billion dollar package funding for ukraine israel and his so-called border fix it actually makes the problem worse what he does is he makes the asylum process more efficient by simply changing policy we can impact the situation overnight Again, that's what the Border Patrol officers told me. What was different in my last time to the border than the first two, the first two always about we need more officers, we need a wall. But this time they just were begging for policy changes. If we went back to remain in Mexico, if we stopped catch and release. You
0: want expedited asylum, but I've been hearing that we have a huge backlog. Our court system can't even process these cases that people are told that that in a couple of years— you have to come to court or something like that.
4: Right. How, how so, do you so expedite very, it? Yeah, well, so I don't think we need to expedite I think we need to start focusing on the people that really have a meaningful claim. So if we could rule out any person that crossed another country to get to America, those people should never be eligible for asylum. If they're leaving their country because of, of fear of their life then why don't they stop in Mexico or why did they have to fly from Iran to America? They're, they're passing multiple countries. So I think that's the the first and foremost is let's, raise the bar what it's going to to get to asylum but you're right this catch and release policy that's exactly who i'm referring to they catch these people they release them and say hey come back six months from now or three years from now and we'll have your hearing in the meanwhile the american taxpayer is spending billions of dollars relocating these people providing food health care and again i want to have compassion for the people that really need it but people that are are leaving their countries for other reasons, uh, we just can't handle all this. It's not fair to Americans. It's not a fair, It's not fair to our senior citizens. It's not fair to anybody.
0: The senator mentioned the $106 billion President Biden is urging Congress to approve. Now, some is for border security. Some would provide military aid for Israel, but a majority of that funding would go to keep helping Ukraine fend off Russian leader Vladimir Putin's invasion. The president said in his Oval Office address last week... We've not forgotten the mass graves, the bodies found bearing signs of torture, rape used as a weapon by the Russians, and thousands and thousands of Ukrainian children forcibly taken into Russia, stolen from their parents. It's sick. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy. But Senator Marshall is among the
4: Republicans who oppose bundling aid for Israel and Ukraine together. We'll be introducing legislation to require that these be split. And as I pondered this the last you know, week when we knew that this was coming, I thought of what Bob Dole told me the first time I sat down with him. And every time I saw him, he'd say, Roger, go back to Kansas. The people of Kansas will tell you what to do with these tough decisions you have to make. I would say, and we talked to tens of thousands of Kansans in the past month, and I don't think 30 or 40 percent of Kansans support funding for Ukraine at this point in time. On the other hand, I think that 90 percent of Kansans would support funding for Israel right now. And certainly I pledge my allegiance to stand beside Israel no matter what. So, so if we would split these, you will get quickly to funding for Israel. But if we put these together, you know, leave it to Joe Biden to find a way to divide Congress once again. It's dead on arrival at the House. And, and really, the way it's written now, the package that Joe Biden has given us is dead on arrival at the Senate.
0: There are Republicans who believe that we can't afford to stop our military aid to Ukraine because it's going to ultimately let Vladimir Putin win to keep the territory he's stolen from the Ukrainians.
4: The way I would look at that is this that Americans are already grown tired of this war in Ukraine. We've asked for inspector generals. Every week I find more corruption going on there. Think about this, 200,000 people have died in this Ukraine war already. Nearly a half a million casualties. We should be both focused on a peace process there. This is a seven or nine or 10 year war waiting to happen. America will spend a trillion dollars there. And this is a thousand year war over a border. Compare that to Israel. In Israel, this fight is between the people of Israel and between the Hamas Army of Terror. Uh, This is a group of religious fanatics. They're not Palestinians. It is the Hamas Army of Terror. So I just think that these are two so very, very different situations.
0: So if the U.S. stops with military aid, it will not give Putin a victory, you don't think?
4: I think that remains to be seen. I think that we should be looking at other solutions, other peace solutions. What I'm understanding in right now from Ukraine, and I visited people on the ground there, is they are struggling to find Ukrainians that want to go to the front line and die. The political class wants this war, but the people that are dying don't want the war. Does that sound familiar? Ukraine is starting to feel a lot like Vietnam, an era that I grew up in. And I'm just afraid where it's going to escalate. I'm afraid that we are we are fighting. We are flirting with a disaster. We're flirting with another nuclear power. Um, I think that there's a peace solution that sets out there that doesn't require America's funding.
0: But Israel, you think we should keep funding at all costs?
4: Absolutely. Uh, and, I, and we've been funding them. Israel is one of our most staunch allies that in many ways they are the eyes and ears to America for a very, very troubled uh, area, that they have thwarted so many terrorist attacks on America. Uh, again, they're a democracy over there. And, and that really, that this is a battle not just for the people of Israel, but this is a battle for the future of humankind, that if we don't stop terrorism now, we will be next, that Hamas is pledged to, to kill not just um, all of Israel, but also Americans. And by the way, we haven't talked about the head of the snake yet. When is this president going to call out Iran, who's the puppeteer, who's the financier, who's the one that arms them, that funds them, that trains them? When are we going to call out Iran?
0: We've had more than a dozen attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria in the past week or so. About two dozen Americans have been injured, not major injuries, but they have been hurt in this. So what should the U.S. do? How do you want us to retaliate and take on Iran directly?
4: We need to re-implement maximum sanctions, but it is time for some type of a military response. Iran is a bully. If we don't hit them in the nose, they're going to keep doing this. They need to know that if they attack Americans, that there will be retaliation. I'm afraid Iran doesn't even know that, that Joe Biden has a red line or not. So I do think it is time for some type of a retaliation.
0: President Trump took out a top Iranian general. Do you think we need to do that again?
4: You know, I I hate to put the guardrails around exactly what we should or shouldn't do, but it needs to be something significant. It needs to be exponentially um, stronger than what Iran has done to us. I don't know whether it's a people or it's attacking their economy in some way, shape or form at a minimum. We should make sure that we're stomping all Iranian boats, including their ghost fleet, which has grown from 60 ships to 300 ships under Joe Biden. At a minimum, we should be doing something to stop the flow of Iran oil you know, out of Iran to the tune of a billion dollars a week.
0: Senator Roger Marshall, Republican from Kansas, a lot to cover. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much.
5: Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at Foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at Foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News
0: commentary. Ricky Schlott. What's on your mind?
2: Employers and professors alike know that they have to walk on eggshells around coddled students or new hires who seem to be offended by something new every day and are willing to report them to HR or put them on blast on social media for supposed transgressions. It's true that Gen Zers are often at the helm of cancel culture campaigns, but I come bearing good news. It's a tyranny of the minority. We're not nearly as awful as our squeakiest wheels might suggest. I know that as a Zoomer myself, but also thanks to survey data that shows that Gen Z actually has the most negative view of cancel culture of any generation. According to a morning consult survey, although younger Americans tend to have a more positive view of cancel culture, with millennials being the most pro-cancel culture generation, Zoomers reverse that trend entirely. Just 8% of Gen Zers born between 1997 and 2008 say they have a positive view of cancel culture, while a whopping 55% have a negative view. The fact of the matter is, when it comes to young people in cancel culture it 's a true tyranny of the minority, and most of us are entirely fed up with dodging the pc tripwire. I know this firsthand when I was a twenty one year old NYU student. I decided to write an op ed about the crisis of free speech on campus in the New York Post. I braced for the mob to come for me. While I did weather some blowback on social media and lost a few friends, I was shocked to find that, even at my ultra-progressive campus, the response from the vast majority of community members was overwhelmingly positive. I was heartened to see how many people came out of the woodwork to support me, from former dorm room neighbors to classmates to professors and even deans. Most of the conversations followed a similar trajectory. Thanks for speaking out. I totally agree with you. But please don't tell anyone we had this conversation. Surveys show that the majority of students self-censor on campus and fear that they may damage their reputation. If young people are sitting on their hands and biting their tongues, they may never realize that like-minded, intellectually curious peers are all around them. Cancel culture thrives by making everyone feel alone. Young people are too afraid to stick their necks out there and take a risk, and understandably so. We grew up in the age of social media, where one silly misstep, even as a teen, could upend your life. That's why young people are overwhelmingly opposed to cancel culture. We're desperate for a shift away from condemnation and towards forgiveness. Unless we want to raise a generation of citizens who live in perpetual fear of being burned at the stake for saying or doing the wrong thing, we must cancel cancel culture once and for all. We need to give people, and especially young people, the freedom to fumble and to learn from mistakes. It's time to extend some grace and embrace forgiveness so that more young people can grow into their authentic voices and authentic selves. Courage is contagious. We can't let the tyrants win. This is Ricky Schlott, New York Post columnist and co author of The Canceling of the American Mind.
1: it's Will Cain, co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will
5: Cain Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.